0: Welcome to the Morning News Podcast for Tuesday, July 21st. We begin with a look at the continued reopening process following closures due to the pandemic. We speak with a professor of public health on his thoughts on the timing and if it's too much, too soon. Next, we look at
1: the early results of COVID-19 vaccine trials in the U.K. Global's Europe correspondent, Redmond Shannon, has details on the Oxford University project, which is reportedly safe and induces an immune reaction.
0: Then we head stateside for an update on the coronavirus situation, where new cases continue to skyrocket. We'll speak with Global News Washington correspondent, Reggie Cicchini.
1: It marks the end of a tragic story which has gripped Quebec City for close to two weeks. Global's Mike Armstrong has the latest details on the manhunt which ended yesterday as authorities found the body of Martin Carpentier.
0: In these crazy pandemic times, COVID-19 restrictions are not the only thing being lifted. So are people's faces, brows and jaws. We speak with a local facial surgeon on the bump in business she's seen over the past few months. And finally, these aren't your granddaddy's video games. We escape reality
1: with a trip to South Centre Mall's new VRcade. 8.49
0: 8.49 now. Parts of Ontario have started moving into their Stage 3 of reopening. So how has it gone so far? Is it too soon? Is there anything we can translate to us here in Alberta? And what concerns do our next guest have? We're joined this morning by Colin Furness, Assistant Professor at the Dalla Lana School of Public Health. Hi, Colin. Good morning. Okay, talk to us a little bit about uh, maybe what we've seen in Ontario. How does it relate to what we might expect here in Alberta?
2: Well, the narratives of the two provinces are are quite different. I think Alberta had really good early success where Ontario really struggled. Um, We may be a little bit more even now. Uh, Ontario cases are starting to inch up. Um, I think similar to Alberta, it tends to be among younger folks, uh, people in their 20s and and spilling into the 30s. And that's really, I think, really closely related to reopening restaurants and bars and also fatigue and uh, general relaxation or complacency around, you know, how serious COVID is and and what that means in that age group.
1: Well, Colin, though, it's that slippery slope because we really want things to start clicking. People need to work. We want our economies to survive, uh, but at what cost? So, so what markers, you know, should we be looking at before we uh, further the openings?
2: Well, I think we could be more selective in in how we do opening. I, I think everyone agrees that, that we can't just put the economy on life support this way. But I'm not sure it's an either-or choice. Uh, for example... I don't think our economy is being driven by bars. I'm I'm concerned about bar owners and servers, and I think we should pay them to stay home or retrain them, or there's a lot of things we could do to help. But I don't think that's where the economy is. I think we can get kids back to school safely um, by using masks and screening and avoiding the other kinds of uh, social interactions that that collectively um, raise the risk. So I think we all think that the economy needs to be prioritized but there's not. we're not necessarily doing it in the most intelligent way.
0: So I know, you know you're know you talking about not letting your guard down, but you, you talked about schools, and, and that's what we're sort of on the verge here, here in Alberta. We're waiting for that decision, uh, possibly coming today from the provincial government. Do we open the schools safely? Do we get the kids wearing masks? Do we do a hybrid? Do we keep them home? What are your thoughts on that?
2: Well, so if it were up to me, I would prioritize kids under 10 going back to school full-time. I would not mask kids under 10 based on a South um, South Korean study that said kids under 10 are not so contagious, and that's probably because they don't exhale. I've got small lungs, they don't exhale so far. Um, I would do that because you also can't teach little kids remotely. You just can't. Mm -hmm. And they provide the the biggest burden to working parents. So I would focus on that right away. Um, Older kids I would also bring back. I would do it in a cohorted way. That is to say you stagger recesses and lunch, and so you end, up, you end up really seeing a lot of your classmates, but not so much of everybody else. That's a really smart way to reduce the amount of contact. And to counteract that, again, I would have restaurants and bars not doing what they're doing. It's still summertime. We can congregate outside, outdoors. There's lots of ways for people to get together. But we can't open everything. We know if we open everything, the results are quite predictable. So we have to prioritize. And again, from an economic standpoint, Absolutely we should prioritize schools over bars. And with
1: the bars can we put the alcohol factor in?
2: Well again we can we can there's lots of places we can drink, and no, we can but they, drink in places.
1: Is that the problem with the bars, when you add alcohol and the Oh, distancing? I see.
2: So alcohol makes things worse, yes, obviously. People do not go to bars to stand two meters away with a mask on their face. <laughs> uh, and, you, you know, your judgment gets a little bit, and this is why we don't want people to drink and drive. Your judgment gets a little off after, after a couple of drinks. But the main thing is it's just it's crowding, and it's shared indoor air. And the more we can avoid people sharing indoor air, the safer we all are.
0: Great perspective, Colin. Thank you so much for joining us.
2: Oh, my pleasure.
0: That's Colin Furness, assistant prof at the Dalla School of Public Health.
1: Coming up to 7.09 on the morning news, the trial of a UK-developed coronavirus vaccine has found that it is safe and induces an immune reaction according to preliminary results. With more details, we're joined by Redmond Shannon, Europe correspondent for Global News. Good morning to you, Redmond.
3: Good morning, Andrew.
1: I understand this is a joint venture. Tell us about the players involved in this, Redmond
3: yeah and I think that's why part of the reason it's getting a lot of attention you have uh, Oxford University which is one of the most respected universities in the world of course along with uh, the pharma giant astrazeneca and the UK government which has plowed a lot of money into this and when I say a lot of money they have pre-ordered 100 million doses of this vaccine should it be successful and that's for a population in the UK of 60 million so almost two for one but but that's potentially needed if this is successful because as we know a lot of vaccines that uh many of us get for health reasons or for travel and um, sometimes need a booster and that's why the uk seems to the uk government have uh, bet heavily on this one and some other ones too but mainly on this one and uh the early results as you said are promising and it is very early results so it is showing that the people who were administered the vaccine in this case a sample of about 500 people um their immune systems showed a response the responses that they were expecting and hoping for. And the side effects were minimal. So uh, fatigue and, uh, and headaches are what um, people had reported, but that was manageable with paracetamol. So this first hurdle has been jumped successfully, but there's a lot, a long way to go when it comes to getting this to market and the other um, things that they need to look at, which include, of course, um, testing this on older people and people with pre-existing conditions, of course, because uh, as we know those are the people that need it the most and um, if it works with those people then we know that this is uh, something that uh, could potentially reach reach the market um, but it could be it's a quite a while away before that happens as yet so uh, early promising signs but we have to wait and see
0: so Redmond what is the next step is it do they go to that more human trials or, or how does it work for a vaccine like this
3: Yes, well, what they do, Sue, is they'll ramp it up and, and give more people this vaccine because they know it appears to be safe. And and uh, then what they're going to do is have these people live their lives and potentially be exposed to COVID-19. Um, they're, uh, Part of the trial will be in Brazil, where we know the virus is... Uh, uh, is really uh, it's a hot spot right now so what they want to see then is the people who have been given the the vaccine is that vaccine going to prevent them from getting covid-19 and prevent them from passing it on those are the two things that need to be seen and of course the older people and people with disability, or sorry people with, um, who are uh, pre-existing health conditions rather, see if those people can safely be given the vaccine too, so those are two big things and they're going to over the next few months ramp up, thousands more people will be given this and they're going to see what the results are and uh, it's potentially the researchers say if everything goes to plan and that's a big if of course, by the end of the year we might see some manufactured and uh, given to the people who need it the most Uh, and then potentially next year it would be ramped up even further um, for uh, a huge um, production of of this vaccine so uh, those are the steps that um, need to be taken as yet and there are other vaccines around the world that are showing these promising early signs too Pfizer in the US and CanSino in China have seen early promising results too CanSino has teamed up with the Canadian government so uh, Canada looking for an early in should that one be successful so um, we need good news when it comes to this and this is potentially good news.
1: Redmond we get about 20 seconds but any side effects uh, in the research uh, have been found?
3: Yeah, just the mild side effects of uh, fatigue and headaches, but uh, paracetamol seems to do the job, they say. So if if that's uh, all it is and that's all it proves to be, then that's manageable. And um, it could be something, it could be the, the good news that, that we need in terms of uh, making sure this vaccine is safe as well as effective.
0: A lot of people hoping that that's the answer. Thanks so much for joining us and appreciate the update, Redmond.
3: Thanks, guys. Have a great day. You
0: too. That's Redmond Shannon. He is our Europe correspondent for Global News. And that's exciting because, you know, we have spoken to experts on the show. and, And generally, it's, you know, it can be 10 years before a vaccine is found. But there are so many different companies, so many different countries pouring money and research into this that, boy, it looks like they could find something potentially very quickly.
1: Done in maybe closer to 10 months than 10 years. And it, it really uh, tickles the imagination to think about if we had such a an effort, uh, a focused effort on something like this, what else could we tackle it now?
0: Doesn't it, it truly does make you think that, doesn't
1: yeah. it? And I'm reading more and more uh, about a lot of these companies saying, and this is to the point that uh, we had a text yesterday going, you know what, these companies are about profit. Some of the companies in the early trials are saying that they will not make a profit. They will not charge to make a profit. Mm on the initial run of these vaccines. But you
0: know perhaps, they're, no, perhaps in the they're going to make money. The, well, you know Nobody what? does anything for free these the, days, the, Andy.
1: These, technically, they are businesses. So people yeah. have to put food on the table, mm-hmm. and you have to give money back to stakeholders. I get that. Uh, but the humanitarian thing to do would be, at, at first, to make sure everybody's covered. Because as we're hearing, COVID-19 isn't going to go anywhere. No. But we will have a vaccine and there could be a mutation and different strains.
0: And a billion people will need to be vaccinated that's in order for enough people to immune, to be immune for new outbreaks to then decrease. So that's a lot of vaccine. And there are, you know, as we've been saying all along, a lot of companies that are, you know, hopefully getting it together. And, and will there be multiple vaccines Or will they go with just one in particular? But three (laughs) criteria that um, any vaccine has to have. Number one, it's got to be safe, obviously. Number two, got to be effective in preventing the disease or virus infection. And then thirdly, the system has to be able to produce the millions of doses of vaccines without any problems. So those are three big deals.
1: And you look at it and you said, you know, would we go with a couple of different solutions? Uh, Perhaps. But the the thought is, and and, uh, some of the experts are saying initially you might want to, concentrate on those countries that have massive outbreaks, which includes the United States, Brazil, Brazil. India. Mm-hmm. And India is an interesting case. At the very beginning, they were doing incredibly well. And I talked to somebody who traveled from India uh, near the very beginning of the pandemic. And at first, the lockdown was nobody can come in. No flights could come in. Right. So they did that out the post very quickly. Uh, but then uh, they uh, said nobody can leave. So this person, a Calgarian, was able to make it back in time. Uh, but, you know, that's a huge country. It so is. And a lot a of people
0: living in very close proximity. And therein lies the problem, right? Here's a
1: question for you. Uh, when a vaccine is out and it is tested and it is proven and fits the criteria that you talked about, yeah, I will take the vaccine. And I will make sure my family takes the mm-hmm. vaccine. But they're in the testing stages, human trials going past one and two and three. Sue, so if somebody were to, to uh, contact you legitimately and say, listen, would you test this coronavirus vaccine? Are they paying do- me?
0: You know, no, I'm just kidding. It, it doesn't... I I wouldn't. That's that's not what I would do. I mean, I've got young kids. Mm-hmm. I've got... That's that's kind of my priority right now. I know there are lots of other people around the world who are... They love to serve, I don't, I don't and that's their, that's their jam, right? a different mindset. It is. I like what they do. Yeah. And we all need it, and I'm great, greatly appreciative of, of people who are willing to have things injected into their body to see if it works, and then, you know, be... Whisked off to Brazil, where it's a hotbed yeah. of well, disease and the virus, and, and hope for the best. So, but, you know, thank you so much for all you do out there. And
1: I backtrack to the question I asked Redmond Shannon, which was, you know, what, what are the side effects known at this point, uh, this far into the trials? Yeah. When you are the first, you say what are the side effects, and they say we you'll we tell them, yeah. you tell us. <laughs> that's, that's a yeah. Give him a tip of the hat.
0: Uh, yeah, it's seven seventeen. It's time for helicopter traffic for West District by Truman. Our main streets highlight twenty foot sidewalks and integrated bike paths.
1: 649 on the morning news. It's been a month of scary milestone numbers set south of the border with the U.S. beating its own daily record of total, total new coronavirus cases at least nine times. To talk about the updates and numbers, we are joined by Global's Washington correspondent Reggie Cicchini. Good morning to you, Reggie. Good morning. It's interesting because the numbers are skyrocketing and now is a somewhat of an about-face from President Donald Trump uh, announcing yesterday that he would return to the daily briefings. Wasn't sure when. It could have been yesterday, might be today. What do you know about those briefings coming back?
4: Yeah, we know those briefings are set to start at five o'clock as the U.S. really rapidly approaches that four million mark for confirmed cases, that death toll pushing 143,000. What hasn't been figured out yet is whether or not members of the task force uh, committee will actually be at these revamped task force briefings. The Surgeon General just a short while ago saying that they're still trying to work out who's actually going to be in attendance. The White House has actually released the daily schedule for the president and they're simply calling today a news conference. We know the last time that the president held the news conference, it was kind of a stream of consciousness, so we simply have to wait and see what is actually going to happen at 5 o'clock D.C. time today.
0: And Reggie, all relating to this, is you know, Donald Trump still saying that he wants the kids back in school in September? He seems to be adamant about it, and any kind of economic stimulus uh, to get the country moving again seems tied to that, too.
4: Yeah, I mean, look, he's really pushing for this return to schools. There are a couple of Republican states following along with him, but in Florida, the epicenter of this right now, there's actually a lawsuit that is going against uh, the Florida government uh, and, and Governor DeSantis to try and stop schools from reopening simply because uh, it's unclear whether or not this is actually going to be safe with schools set to reopen a couple of weeks from now. Across the country, though, there's a secondary battle showing up uh, because there is a need for additional funding, and the White House potentially could be getting in the way of that because governors a- a- and most lawmakers say that they need to find more money for testing. The White House and the president are getting in the way, saying they don't want any more money for testing. They're simply fed up with testing because, as the president says, that puts too much focus on the U.S. Florida's been leading the hit parade when it comes to records, but hearing of
1: other states with the flare-ups and conflict within the states when it comes to protocols such as Georgia...
4: Yeah, look, Georgia is setting itself up for a legal battle as well with the governor uh, going after uh, Atlanta's mayor who enacted uh, a mask rule and is trying to put a a rollback on the phased reopenings to try and slow down the spread. Georgia is one of those uh, states that are in the hot spots right now, the hot zone, the red zone. uh, And uh, the governor is simply saying that the mayor is overreaching with her uh, uh, trying to force people essentially to wear a mask if they're out in public. Uh, The governor is simply saying, look, I believe in masks. I don't think we should mandate it. This is a End, something we're seeing bubbling up across the country as people really push back on these mitigation efforts. But as you see out in Los Angeles County, they are reporting some of the highest numbers in the country right now. Uh, and Los Angeles mayor is actually uh, actually teetering uh, with potentially putting the city and the county back under a lockdown.
0: The battle continues, really, doesn't it, between all levels of government? It's, it's just a bit of a gong show.
4: It is. And it stems from the fact that there's been no national strategy from the beginning, the president telling states to go it alone. And then when the states do something the president doesn't like, he tries to intervene or at least tries to make his message clear that he doesn't like what's happening. You know, it's the same with masks. The president won't put a mask policy out, decided yesterday to tweet a picture of himself wearing a mask, saying it's patriotic, <laughs> but then there's no policy for it. And now he's got his base who's getting, you know, a little angry with him for putting that picture out there because they're the ones who say, well, you told us not to wear a mask. We don't feel like we should have to.
1: Reggie, a lot happening and uh, so we'll we'll keep in touch with you as we uh, as much as we can over the next uh, week or two. Thanks for your time. Thank you. That is Reggie Chikini, Globals Washington correspondent.
0: now and a majority of Canadians believe the Trudeau government should rely less on trade with China and diversify to other countries. That's according to a new Ipsos poll conducted exclusively for Global News. To discuss a little further, we're chatting this morning with Matthew Fisher, Global News contributor. Hi, Matthew. Hi, good morning. Hey, Thanks so much for joining us. So, you know, according to this poll, obviously it seems Canadians that we're just not comfortable dealing with China these days. Is that what the numbers show?
5: they absolutely do show that. And of course,
1: uh, oh. I think we've lost Matthew. Matthew. I could hear his phone cut out. And maybe he's got another call. Brian, the, maybe you could call, call him line.
0: back and we'll, uh, we'll see if we can get line. right back to him. But, uh, it looks like according to this poll, you know, public opinion it does not, uh, look like we are interested in, in, mm-hmm. in dealing with China right. at this point. Oh, there you are, Matthew, yeah, you're, you're back. I,
5: sorry. Uh, uh, it was a trick of my phone that I hadn't figured
1: out. <laughs> no better yours
0: than ours. So tell us a little bit about what the numbers show. The Canadians just, we're not comfortable with our country dealing with China right now.
5: Well, it's been growing for some time. Uh, but I think this is the most uh, clear evidence of it. And it's a very timely poll because in the last week or two, China has been up so much so it's really gauging canadian opinion as we become more aware of what china has done in hong kong and i think also as we become more aware of the absolutely disgraceful treatment of the uyghur muslim minority uh in western china uh basically canadians want nothing to do with china uh they understand trade is important with china uh, they understand that in certain ways, aspects we must hold our nose and trade with China, but they don't want us to be going out, being China's friend. And despite the Meng dispute, the the two Michaels. Canada has tried very hard uh, in the last couple of years to maintain cordial relations. You know, cabinet ministers have visited China. Uh, uh, trade delegations with the backing of the federal government have visited China. And, and the Canadian public really are saying, we do not want that.
1: Matthew, what about, you know, uh, when we look at the, the top guy in our nation, uh, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau, what, what do Canadians think about his approach to China?
5: Well, the poll is more generous uh, to the prime minister than than I would have been. The poll says that uh, that Canada um, or Canadians think the prime minister has done a fairly good job of managing the China file. Um, I think uh, we have done nothing on the China file except encourage China, uh, and uh, I, I, I don't quite get that. But uh, I, I do believe that it's there. Canadians seem prepared again and again to cut this Prime Minister slack when things don't quite work out. Uh, China has abused us in trade. Uh, They kidnapped two Canadians, first of all. But then uh, for people in Western Canada, pork is a big deal in Alberta. You had problems with that. Canola is an even bigger deal for a lot of farmers in Alberta. uh, And that has been a problem And so I don't quite get why Canadians think that's good because China hits back at you all the time. And Canada has not until now had any really effective counterpunch to any of that. But we do have options. We do have a lot of other places we could trade. There's this idea, oh, if we don't have China trading with us, our economy is going to be dead. Well, our economy has lots of problems right now because of the coronavirus But there are options in Asia. Japan, Vietnam, India want to do much more trade with Canada. Um, Then there's the Philippines, Indonesia. We can do more in the Caribbean. We can do more in Latin America with our allies. We could perhaps do more in Africa. But particularly in Asia, that's where all the growth is. And we have barely uh, scraped the surface. Taiwan is another country. You put all of those things together, and Canada will not suffer that much if we have a more imaginative, foreign policy and a more imaginative trade policy and don't just wait for deals with china when china sort of likes beating us up
0: and maybe the government needs to be a little more you know uh, transparent with that information and make everybody understand that we can do other things and deal with other countries and still you know bring in the same dollar value into our country but it's an ongoing discussion thank you for the info and the update on the poll matthew
5: thank you sorry for my phone glitch
0: no worries thanks for joining us that's matthew fisher global News contributor.
1: 647, time for helicopter traffic for West District by Truman. Life happens at HelloWestDistrict.com.
6: The southeast and checking out that northbound drive, pretty steady, making your way up towards Anderson Road. You're currently sitting at about 11 or 12 minutes from Stony Trail up towards 17th Avenue. A little bit of that glare factor around the around the Cash Row Bridge, and in fact impacting all in eastbound drive. We're seeing some long shadows cast by those vehicles, so you'll need your sunnies today, that's for sure. Seeing light volume on 52nd Street, a great option out of New Brighton, Mackenzie Town, and Mahogany, all the way up into the uh, 17th Avenue area. We've also got light volume on Stony Trail along that east side of the city, tons of space in between those vehicles, and Glenmore Trail, if you're making your way in from Langdon, those westbound lanes, sitting problem-free from Stony Trail out towards McLeod. The Lotto Max jackpot is $55 million, plus an estimated 4 Max millions. $55 million plus 4 Max millions streamed to the max with Lotto Max. Up in the 770 CHQR, traffic helicopter, I'm ready,
7: Howard.
0: now, and Quebec police believe they have found the body of Martin Carpentier, the subject of the intensive 10-day manhunt near Quebec City. Global's Quebec correspondent Mike Armstrong joins us with the latest now. Hi, Mike. Good morning. Thanks so much for joining us. What more do we know at this point?
8: Well, the body was found at about uh, 6.30 last night by a homeowner on a uh, uh, St. Lazare, sort of a, a street that cuts perpendicular to the main artery uh, in St. now the community where police have been searching. Now, that homeowner, he has a house and set aside from the house, sort of a separate structure. He has a garage. The body would have been found behind that garage. Police aren't saying much, only that um, they believe it is the body of Malfain Caponcier and that they believe the cause of death is suicide. What we've heard from witnesses in the area would be that he hanged himself uh, behind that building the question one of the questions because there are many is how police missed it because it is a spot i spoke to police this morning not only was it a spot that they had checked it was one of the first spots they checked so now did police searchers go by and cap wasn't there yet uh or did they go by and miss it uh, so uh, many many questions that we're still hoping to hear answers to at some point uh police are, have sent the body for an autopsy um, so they're going to get some answers at some point and we'll update the media. We're hearing probably Wednesday or Thursday.
1: So uh, mentioned uh, perhaps overlooked the first time or, or, or not there at the time the police were searching. Do we know if it, it was specifically police that found the body or searchers?
8: No, it was very much. A, it was a homeowner. As a matter of fact, the search was basically called off as of Saturday. Police had run out of leads um, They really hadn't had any information saying that Calponti was on the run and in a specific spot. So while they had deployed dozens and dozens of searchers earlier last week, all throughout last week, uh, as of Saturday, they sort of said, "Okay, we're stepping back. And when people call us, then we'll investigate that and and we'll pursue the the, the few leads we have. Um, But they weren't uh, looking on the ground sort of. Uh, going through. They'd already turned the place over sort of with a fine tooth comb, at, at least that's what we thought. Where the body was found is literally, as the crow flies, about three kilometres from the police command centre that was set up. Uh, and it, it's on, as I said, like a, a, not a main road, but one of the, the side roads, just a few hundred metres from the main artery in saint Um One thing I should mention this morning is that there is basically a a wave of relief sweeping through that Mm. community this morning because they've lived with for almost two weeks with a fugitive in their midst and while police did say repeatedly we don't think he'd be necessarily dangerous if you ran into him he was a desperate person and obviously nobody wanted to kind of to confront this person uh in person
0: no doubt thank you so much for the update mike appreciate your time thank you that's mike armstrong globals quebec correspondent Well, our next guest says her consultation requests went up 300% as pandemic restrictions were starting to lift. Plastic surgeons and people who provide cosmetic procedures have noticed a huge spike in demand of late. To talk about it, we're joined this morning by Dr. Christina Zachary, facial, facial surgeon. Good morning, doctor. Good morning. Thank you for having me. Well, thanks so much for joining us. Interesting. And it, do you see a correlation between COVID-19 and your request for surgery? What What is it? Well, just as
7: an industry as a whole, I think that some folks were curious about, you know, or considering having a procedure of some kind, but the timing has never worked out because of you know, having to take a two-week recovery time. Now, because people have been sheltering in place for almost five months now, um, they're thinking that, you know, it would be a good time to do a procedure because they have the time to sort of hide away and have that recovery
0: time.
1: Hide away, and if you have to go out in (laughs) public, I'm not sure how soon after you've had some uh, surgery can you put a face mask on. They could probably go to the grocery store and, and nobody'd know.
7: Well, that's the thing with wearing masks. You know, a lot of people who are interested in in in-office procedures like fillers, for example, that have sort of like this awkward two-week, you know, swelling and bruising phase. It's not, you know, severe, but... You know, they don't really want people to see what they look like during that first two weeks of healing uh, from those in-office procedures. So definitely, you know, newbies who've been researching it and um, reading out about it but haven't had the courage yet to do it are now having the courage to do it because they can, like you said, hide behind the mask and then just go about their daily activities. Um so I think in a, in, a, in a post-COVID world, I think people are a little bit more um, comfortable to do things that they just really didn't have the time to do before.
0: Doctor, do you think that, uh, you know, the fact that we're doing a lot of meetings, et cetera, on Zoom and that sort of thing where we're seeing our own faces up close, has that led to some of this and, and people curious about perhaps fixing uh, something that they don't really like about themselves?
7: I, I, I do believe so. I think people are seeing themselves on Zoom and other, you know, telecommunication platforms, and they're seeing it's kind of acting like an unforgiving magnifying mirror, right? Like you see yourself at different angles that you don't normally see yourself at. So you're seeing like, you know, saggy jowls and necklines and maybe dull skin or maybe that one wrinkle between the eyebrows. So they they want to they want to make themselves look good and feel good uh, and the, the quickest way to do that is to um, you do a little in-office procedure but other people are looking to do you know something that's timeless effective and more value for the money and so um, and so that usually translates into like a surgery like a facelift or something like that.
1: Dr. Zachary can you give us you know with these increased inquiries and Uh, clients coming in Uh, a bit of the demos is it predominantly women or is there a good mix of men in what age range are we talking about
7: well the age range is around you know anywhere to be honest it's anywhere from from 18 years old to 55 years old and it's um, a good mix of men and women I think that every you know anybody who's working from home who is using you know any telecommunication or teleconferencing platform like zoom or facetime or anything like that they're getting a little bit more, you know, self-conscious about how they're seeing themselves. They're seeing themselves in a way that they've never seen themselves before. So, and it's also a good mix of, uh, in-office procedures that are quick and fast and relatively cheap to look good and uh, and then surgeries that is more, you know, timeless and more, you know, value for, for what you're paying.
0: It makes me sad in a way to hear this, but at the same time, you know, why shouldn't you fix something that you have that it maybe just, it doesn't make you feel good about yourself? So what kind of procedures are, are people really coming in? What are the, the top few that you're you're hearing mostly a request for?
7: Uh, the The... To be honest, it's not sad. I think that self love is something that should be celebrated. Mm-hmm. I don't think that it should be, you know, uh, shamed. Yeah, or, I agree with you. I mean, so uh, I think that definitely the most common, the most number one common procedure that people are looking to get is Botox because it's the cheapest and also the fastest way to improve something like, you know, some wrinkles in the face. Uh, And so a lot of people are, and it's it's more minimal to people, you know, it's a quick in and out procedure so that you're not spending a lot of time in the office and that's safer. And while definitely doctors' offices have implemented new um, safety protocols, people I think are a little bit nervous to come to the doctor's office. Uh, and so that's definitely the quickest and fastest way, um, how to look better. And then the second most common is also an in-office procedure, which is fillers, just to add some volume, just to like, look a little bit more refreshed. And, and then the most common surgery I would say is, um, is, is, is rhinoplasty or nose job oh. and then, and then facelift. Definitely. Yeah.
1: It was an interesting time. Thank you so much for your time this morning, Dr. Zachary.
0: Thank you for having me. Have a great day. You
1: too. That is Dr. Christina Zachary, facial surgeon.
0: It's 8.17 now, and it's time for Helicopter Traffic, brought to you by West District by Truman, a mix of unique single-family homes, townhomes, and condos.
6: Trail. This morning, expect a new lane realignment around the Heritage Drive construction zone on the bridge deck there, just north of it. Um, so they'll be impacting mostly the Northbound Drive, so a heads up if it's on your route. It's still about 20 minutes, though, from Highway 22X into the downtown core. Here trail, still a fantastic drive through the southeast, a nine-minute go from Stony Trail up towards 17th Avenue, South here, but you haven't gotten too busy you're still about nine minutes off the qe2 down towards the memorial drive and into the downtown core that remains a nice and smooth commute Stay with elbow drive and 14th street if you're headed out of these far southwest communities the uh, northbound drive is problem free all the way up to glenmore the, the lotto max jackpot is 55 million dollars plus an estimated four max million 55 million dollars plus four max million stream to the max with lotto max up in the 770 CHQR traffic helicopter i'm ready howard
0: Whew. Sue and Andrew down at VRcade at South Centre Mall. This place is awesome. So brand new to the mall. Victoria, tell us all about it. Sorry. Oh my God, Jessica. Oh my God. Jessica, tell us all about this new. I know it's your newest location, but tell us about VRcade and what this is for people who've not experienced it yet.
9: Well, we're the funnest virtual reality arcade around, so you come in with your family and friends, you get your own individual stations, you don't have to worry about social distancing, especially right now, and then you get connected in games, single and multiplayer, you can see one another, interact with each other, and just have a great time killing some zombies, shooting some dragons dodgeball whatever it is mini golf we have all the options that you can want it's really fun
1: Jessica let's talk about it because some people might say it's it's, it's super technical I couldn't understand it if if I'm wearing uh, goggles and holding controls but we went in and we can understand it so I think that it's a very short learning curve isn't it
9: yeah. So if you go, you can get really, really technical with it. But uh, really, we have it set up so anybody can come in and play and experience it. You have our support the entire time. So our team is there to make sure you have no issues. Walks you through everything, and uh, it. We try to only have games that are pretty intuitive, so you can really get into it right away
0: without having uh, too much of a learning curve. And Jessica, how many stations are there? And can you do solo? Can you do more than two people? How does that all work?
9: Yeah, so we have 17 stations in total in this location. And we you can do multiplayers or singles, so you can come in by yourself if you'd like or with a group of friends, family, whatever it is. You can drop off the kits and go shopping. Okay. All of that works absolutely fine. And uh, we do birthday parties and uh, group events all the time. We do have a party space as well. And so it's a lot of fun for anybody, no matter what your day is. You just want to escape, you come in.
1: <laughs> You've got the hand sanitizer staff wearing masks but really at the heart of it you know when it comes to virtual reality this is made for social distancing it's a perfect fit isn't it
9: yeah it really is because you do have your own individual station you're all curtained in so you don't have to worry about it our equipment is thoroughly sanitized between each use as is even before everything happened and so now we just have extra hand sanitizer higher cleaning equipment higher cleaning procedures we do clean in between um, each turn around to All the common surfaces that get touched. So after you are done in those chairs, those get cleaned and sanitized. All of that as well.
0: Andy and I just played together against the trolls and all the other evil villains out there. And uh, we played for about 45 minutes and we're both sweating and exhausted. <laughs> so it is a great
9: workout. It's an amazing workout. People don't realize it. You don't just sit in front and have a controller. You're actually moving around. You're active. Work up a sweat and uh, you will feel this tomorrow in your shoulders, guys. The bone arrow is really, it makes you sore.
1: Thank you so much. Jessica Smith from VRcade now open at South Center Mall. Wow, that was so much fun. And you know what? We played the game called Elven Attack. Mm -hmm. There are so many games to choose from. You and I, because we're rookies, we said, what's a game we can enjoy. It she was the it was easiest one. Super popular. And operator Brian said he's been to the VRcade VR and yeah. that's his favorite. So now I don't feel like such a doofus.
0: It's bow and it's a bow and arrow, uh-huh. and you shoot it at the trolls and the ogres, and and it's not bloody, it's not gory, no. like it's it. And but it's so real. It's, it's 360 degrees immersive. Yeah, you and I playing together as a team in the same game. Like, I am not a video game person. I'm not good at video games. I don't like video games. And I loved this. But what I liked about
1: it and something we talked about was the learning curve is not huge. So you've got these two handholds. If you've ever played the, the Wii, the one that's really active that you're waving the wands and you have the wands in your hands, it's like that. And it just learned. You learn a couple of buttons, and you're
0: good to go. Yeah, that's what I said. I do not give me more than one button per hand. I do not want to have to play with seventy two thousand buttons and different things. So there, you can go very simple. You can play things like dodgeball. Yes, that's awesome. Like I mean, there are just so many great options out there. And we worked up quite the sweat, you and I. So it's fun. Get the kids off the computer at home, but still something gamey that they'll like. And you can take the whole family down. All ages can play this.
1: Got a text in. What's the uh, proxy? cost of that depends on the day yeah it's more expensive it's like 30 dollars an hour on the weekends
0: yeah it was anywhere 20 to 40 20 to i think $30. right
1: dollars yeah. that's 30 top edge and they have birthday party stuff so you want to hop online to get more details And when
0: we sure. were down there there were a whole bunch of kids doing a week long of day camps
1: mostly distanced
0: fabulous